From the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services, this is Catholic Military Life, the only official podcast of the Archdiocese. I'm your moderator, Taylor Henry, and it's my great privilege to be talking today to Edwin and Dolly Wilson, uh, who are uh, leaders and members of the Catholic community in Stuttgart, Germany, visiting us today here in Washington before their return trip. Uh, both were recently knighted into the Equestrian Order of the Holy Sepulchre of Jerusalem. Congratulations, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm told that a big reason why you were chosen for this honor was that for the last three decades, more than 30 years, you've been instrumental in organizing the uh, uh, the trip from uh, Germany to Lourdes, France, uh, for the International Military Pilgrimage. Let's start there and tell me about that work that you've done. Oh, boy. Actually, our work started when the Catholic chaplain in Stuttgart, Father Kaminsky, uh, he was a Franciscan, He's, everybody called him Father Clem because that was his religious name. And he said to us, you know, I heard something that there is a train that goes to a pilgrimage to Lourdes, and I'd like to know something about it. And of course, we had no idea either. So we started to check around. And Dolly, being more fluent in German than I am, started to check with the German Archdiocese and we took us a couple of days to trace down the person in charge of this for the Stuttgart area it was a woman if I remember right now yeah she was a woman and so I contacted her I said oh it's great that the Americans want to join us on the train so I uh, so I started doing all the correspondence with them because the correspondence is all in German and that's how it all started. I see. And you speak fluent German. Yes, I speak fluent German. Okay. All right. So the uh, what, what year was this? 1984. And uh, so you organized the, uh, the pilgrimage for uh, Catholics based at Stuttgart to go to Lourdes, France that yes. year. Yeah. The first year, we started with the Stuttgart military community. And we had, if I remember right, we had somewhere around 28 to 32 people, 20 I mean, yes. so, soldiers. And I have to make something. In those days, the American military, military people were allowed to wear their uniform in public. And one of the requirements, and by the way, I should go back, is that this is a, the, it's a pilgrim train. It's only for pilgrims that go to, go to the pilgrimage. And it's for military personnel. And it's it's actually organized by the military bishop's office in, in uh, at that time in Ber uh, Bond, but now it's Berlin, and it's the German military bishop's office. And one of their requirements in 1984 was that all military personnel report in uniform on the to the train or on the train. So that was not a problem in 1984. American military personnel wore their military uniform. And, and of course, since 9-11, that has changed. Now the Americans do, are not allowed to wear their uniform, and that is to get on the train. I see. Well, I'm sure they stand out like sore thumbs being in shape and haircut and all, right? <laughs> yes, you're, you're correct. <laughs> that, that's true. <laughs> no, that's very true. But uh, they're not wearing their uniform now, today, because 
forest protection regulations. Sure. So back in 1984, this train, how many German uh, servicemen and women were on board? When we first started, Father Clem, by the way, he went with us. And we had, like I say, around 32 American military personnel, all in uniform. And there were, at that, if I can remember right, the train had about eight, eight, 20, 22 wagons, 20 different, 20, and the middle wagon was the, what they call, Gepeck wagon and the-, the Luggage, sum, luggage compartment. Yeah, uh, luggage compartment, and it also was the Samba wagon where they sold beer, cola, and snacks at a very reasonable rate. Was, so, but back then, a serviceman could have a beer in uniform. That's right, they could. And they did. No, after, <laughs> no. After you got on the train, you you changed your clothes. Oh, you, didn't, you did not have to stay in uniform. I see. Okay. Yeah, I should point that out. You reported in your uh, your uniform, and once the train left the de- depot, the person in charge would ask permission. Okay, can they change out to more comfortable clothes? And you took a look at what the other sol- military personnel were wearing, and they were all in shorts and showers in flip flops. But you had a report in uniform, and then you could change into something more comfortably after you. But you had to get permission first from the, what they call the person in charge of the train, the, the duty officer. So how long does it take to travel by train from Stuttgart to Lourdes? It takes about 22 hours, roughly. But we stopped for mass on the way. Yes, that's important. You would stop for yeah, mass? Yeah, we stopped for mass on the way, I down, see. down to Lourdes. So you would stop at uh, Catholic churches along Catholic church the way. and have mass. I see. I think it might be interesting if I could break in. You okay? Yeah. I think it might be interesting is the train would, in those days, let's say at the beginning, we would take a break somewhere in France. The whole train, we're talking about 600 military people. Of, of By the way, it wasn't just the Americans and the Germans. There were people... At, of course, in 1984, the wall had not fallen. But there were other people from other nations that would join us in uniform. And we would all we form up, and we would march from the train station to the church where we were going to have the, the what they call the opening mass. So all the multinational contingents would march in? In, unif- in unison. Uh, the, Except the Americans. Well, the Americans did at that not, time. No, but not now, and not anymore. Well, I'm talking about 1984. In 1984, up until, yeah. up until 9-11, they were in uniform, and they would march with the German in formation to the church where the, where the opening mass was going to be held. Very interesting. So at this time, were you still in the Army? Yes. I see. So you would march along with them? Yes, I would. Dolly, what about you? No, I would be at the back. <laughs> <laughs> Civilians were... Civilians. I see. Civilians f- fell in the, to the rear. <laughs> well, uh, so uh, tell me about the fellowship you must have experienced with uh, servicemen from other nations. You had your common Catholic faith. To, yes, we did. Uh, uh, what was that like? That was interesting. Uh, we've had, uh, over the years, we've had, uh, since the wall since the wall came down, since the Berlin Wall fell and the the reunification came about, we, and the breaking up of the Soviet Union, we've had the Polish, the Hungarians, the Czechs, the Romanians, the uh, Lithuania, the, all those, including the Ukrainian the military, they were on the train, and they were in uniform, and, and we would all comrade back and forth. And I had one person, he wanted 
he was wanted to go to the uh, West. He wanted to go to the military academy in West Point. He was a young Ukrainian soldier. He's he was working on his English, and we communicated him because one of our members was a was a Russian. He spoke Russian, so it went from English to Russian to German, <laughs> and back again. And it was a very interesting conversation. But he well, wanted to go. He was was working on becoming a West Point cadet. So uh, you, this became an annual thing for both of you. Yes, it was an annual thing. Every May we used to go down to Lords. And how much work went into it? Quite a bit. Quite a bit of work goes into it. Well, tell me about the logistics. What kinds of things did you have to organize and plan for? Okay, the forms that the uh, we have for the train is all in German. So we have to take the German form and we have to... Tr- translate it and I tried a few times and what I would get back I'd had to have to redo it so what I did is I made up my own f- registration form in English you speak Russian no no, no. in English in English yeah and we I would make the the registration form in English they would fill it out and send it back to me or send back to us and then I would take the information and transpose it on to the German form and the Germans uh, are known for being fairly picky about forms yes. and, and that very, sort very of thing. Bu- bureaucratic, <laughs> but very, very correct. <laughs> so, so uh, and you started in '84, and are you still doing this? Yes. Yes. Wow. Uh, so y- your involvement in getting um, Catholic U.S. servicemen from uh, Germany to Lourdes every year for the international pilgrimage has been really a study in history. You've seen, uh, you seen you saw the fall of the Berlin Wall? Yes, 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 we, we, yes we did. We the, did see that. We were there when the wall went down. I can say that in Germany, this, the, and I can remember one of my German friends saying, yeah, yeah, Herr Wilson, the wall, the mauer, the mauer is fallen. Is this the mauer? The mauer is fallen. Das is He was just. That is ausgezeichnet. That means the wall a, has fallen. It is amazing. It, amazing. it is wonderful. Yeah, and the people were going. That is, Germans were driving to the to the wall, or were driving to the border and welcoming their their neighbors. Which in many cases they were they were their relatives. You know, relatives that they hadn't seen in years because you could not, you know, you if you wanted to visit a relative in the eastern zone or if they wanted to visit you in the west, you had to file for permission, and that was that was a bureaucratic long take. But they could just go, and these people were coming out, and it was it was just amazing. And the one thing that happened was the stores opened on Sunday to accommodate these East Germans to the West because when they came in, they were given 100 D-marks, which to spend, and the stores opened up. And in Germany, at that time, when the wall went down, stores were not opened on Sunday, but all of a sudden permission was granted, stores were open, and people were, were buying and shopping on a Sunday. Wow. That was, that was really something. Okay, so you witnessed that. You witnessed the implosion of the Soviet Union. Yeah. All the Eastern uh, European countries now taking part in this uh, military pilgrimage. Yes. Uh, and and the, these were faithful. These were uh, Catholics who had held fast to their faith. They held fast to their faith. In spite of the communist regime. In spite of One thing I have to say is, and this is, I think this is important, if you think about it, this unification between the East and West Germany was done relatively with very little violence. It was done 
basically peaceful. And I remember listening to every Monday they had the Montag March, the March on Monday, protest on Monday, and million, well, actually, hundreds of thousands of people would, thousands would come out and process to their, you know, downtown and stand there with just, we want to have more freedom. We want to have be able to, to speak more freely. We want to be able to travel. Just basic human rights and dignity. And the East German government was perplexed. Well, what are we going to do? And there was a pastor, uh, a, 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 a pastor there that one time, and I heard him say this. He said, next Monday, I want everybody to light a candle and put it in their window not as a protest, but as a hope for the future. And I thought that was very, very, very insightful. Wow. A hope for the future, not as a protest. And there were millions of candles in the window the following Monday, all over East and in, in the West Germany too. Who could have ever thought that the Cold War would end that and way? Yeah, no, right. we, it was, well, we have to give Gorbachev a lot of credit too because he could see what was going on and he let certain things happen that wouldn't happen. And Egan Krantz also, though he's been subject to criticism, I, I know there's a lot of people that have criticism, is he also played a role in keeping the violence down to avert, to keeping the violence down, the repression from the east from the east side, the security forces he kept them from shooting into the into the crowd because the, my understanding is they were planning to shoot into the crowd to try to stop these demonstrations. And he said, no, they are our brothers, they are our sisters, they are our relatives. We cannot do this. Wow. Really miraculous. Yeah, it was. Yes, it was. So what are things like now in Germany? We hear a lot about the secularization and the mass abandonment of the faith. Is that so? That is a problem for the for the German Catholic bishop uh, and for the Catholic Church. Uh, unfortunately, the, this is for them. The, the, this is a real challenge. Uh, the young people are not going to church as they should be going to church. They're not practicing their faith as the way they should. Well, they're not here in the United States either. Okay. Well, there's, but then the bishops are concerned about this. The number of of uh, of uh, vocations to the priesthood is is down in many parishes in germany uh they have laity actually running the parish they do a par liturgy and the priest he comes once every four weeks and, and says mass and consecrates enough eucharist to be able to uh, to f fulfill the requirement for the next month until he can come back again now, is this on base or is this no, out no, no. in the This, is, on the German, German. this German. is the German economy. This is only the Germans. The German economy. We have our priests on the now, base. Getting back to the Catholic, the Archdiocese of the Military Services has a Catholic chaplain. And that Catholic chaplain is available seven days a week. And if necessary, uh, he, he'll, he'll come at 2 o'clock in the morning if there's, if there's really need. And this is Father Gabriel. Father Gabriel is the Catholic chaplain for the Stuttgart military community at the present time. Now, you say there's one, but that's down quite a bit from the, what it used to be. Yes. Tell it, me about that. <laughs> there was, in Stuttgart, back in the 80s, uh, around six or seven full-time Catholic chaplains in the Stuttgart military community because we had, at that time, uh, well, many concerns, but we had seven different places. But they've all been, been given up except for four. 
There's four now, there's four bases or four concerns that are still active. And we have one Catholic chaplain to make, to service all of this area. So we're down from seven to one. Down from seven to one. And that's... But many bases have also been closed, though. Yeah. Many bases have also been closed. There's only, I think, uh, Patch Barracks, Kelly Barracks, and Panzer, Panzer and, Robinson. and Robinson. The only four bases left. Three. That's three. That's three bases, yeah. yeah. Whereas back in the heyday, there were how many, roughly? Oh, at Stuttgart, there was this, let's see, there was Kelly... Patch, RB, Panzer, I'm missing one. Ludwigsburg. Ludwigsburg and Nelligan. Yeah. And then there was the 5th General Hospital in Bad Kunstadt. So that's seven right there. And they had a full-time chaplain in the hospital at one time. The decline in the number of chaplains is a pattern we're seeing worldwide now and have been since uh, going back decades. But, yeah. for example, just since 9-11, uh, we had more than 400 Catholic priests on active duty in the U.S. military. I, yes, I was at that, yeah. I was at a meeting when the Archdiocese and the, the Department of the DOD were there, and they said, I was, all the priests were there, and they said, we have a hundred and so many chaplains, and looking into the future, so many people are going uh, are, are to retire, and there's nobody replacing them, and this and this, and we're going to be down to 102 chaplains and there was oh my goodness well we're way down below 102 right now in in, in europe way way lower than that and worldwide we're yes. down to uh, slightly under 200 yeah. there is some good news though and that is that we've seen a huge increase in the number of men entering the seminary to become military chaplains yes this year we have uh, a record 47 uh, who are in seminary and hope to become chaplains in all branches of the service. So it's not a completely bleak picture, but it is very sobering to see how sharply the numbers have fallen. Yes, but the, the Catholic chaplains do a fantastic job, and, uh, and the Archdiocese does a fantastic job of supporting them. And uh, I, I would like to really thank Archbishop Broly and all the bishops and all the priests for continuing to minister to the Catholics in situation overseas. And, and he has the largest, if I'm concerned, the AMS is the largest diocese, if I could use that word, in the world as far as landmass because he has Africa, he has the, I think he includes Antarctica too, the South Pole. I don't think anybody goes there, but he still has. Anywhere the military, right. the U.S. military is. Right. The sun never sets on the no, Archdiocese no, right. for the, the, the military services. Sets. Right. And uh, we have 1.8 million uh, Catholics practicing uh, under the jurisdiction of the Archdiocese, and it's a tall order. Uh, in Europe, uh, you have a new auxiliary bishop, Bishop uh, Mum, who uh, is replacing uh, Bishop Spencer, who's moved back to the United States to serve as the auxiliary for the Eastern United States. You worked fairly closely with Bishop Spencer during his time there? Y yes, we have. We, we've worked with him a lot. He, and in fact... He's been on the train. He likes to go on the train with us. And uh, he's been on the train, what, three times, four times now? Three or four times for the yeah. Lord's military for pilgrimage. For the Lord's military pilgrimage. And it's always, a great, always great to have the bishop along. Uh, I could give an anecdote. He came down uh, one year. I forget what it was. He would have the year, but right now off the top of my head, I don't know it. He came down as a chaplain. And in Lourdes, it was announced that he would become bishop and 
and of course, I at that time he was a chaplain. He was a chaplain, and he uh, we nobody well he knew he was going to become a bishop, but he but Rome had an embargo of, about any kind of announcement until it was official, and the the date and the time was happened to be on if I remember right it was a Saturday at twelve noon on Saturday, and that's when the announcement was made, and of course I reported this to the to the German people in charge of the train. And they looked at me and they said, uh, cha yeah, cha Chaplain Spencer is now a bishop. Well, they said, well, yeah, they, they checked it out. They had their own source. And they, they, when they realized that, yeah, he is a bishop, what are we going to do? We don't have any special compartment for him anymore. <laughs> no, he always gets a special compartment. No, they were thinking on, he was with, a, with some other priest. And he said, and this was good, this, don't worry, I, I'll be fine what I, the way I am. <laughs> you don't have to get a special wagon for me. But it was, every, it was very, very nice that uh, he was chosen. And in Lourdes, the announcement was made in Lourdes. <laughs> Bishop F. Richard Spencer, very down-to-earth guy. Yes, very, very. very much. Um, well, uh, so let's talk about the Knights of Columbus. For the last several years, yes. they have been sponsoring... Uh, uh, a uh, uh, contingent to the international military pilgrimage. Uh, we call it Warriors to Lords. Yeah. And um, so uh, during your time arranging uh, yeah. the transportation for the uh, Americans, uh, you become involved with the Warriors to Lords. Tell, tell, me, what, okay. uh, tell me what is the Warriors to Lords, how it relates okay. to the military pilgrimage. Let, let me kind of go back. Several years ago, about 10 years ago, the European command chaplain with Father Ingaterra. And I was speaking with him and I said, Father, do you realize something? I've been to Lourdes several times now. We never bring any, any wounded. We never bring our sick, our sick people. And he looked at me and he says, I'm thinking the same thing you're thinking. So we started together, we started to try to find, uh, could we, are there any wounded warriors that we could take to Lourdes? And we had problems. Uh, we ran into some roadblocks and we realized that okay this is not the proper time now for some reason or we just had the feeling that our lord was saying i have something better in mind and he did have something better in mind about three years later maybe four years later the knights of columbus started the warrior to lords program and it is it, it has gotten started out small because they, they wanted to start small at the beginning and make sure they had the the right organization the right amount of people there's a lot that goes on to this now we don't work directly with the wounded warriors uh, we're a little bit separate from them but we do support them and anybody that comes to me or dolly and says i'm interested in this program we tell them okay contact the knights of columbus for the details and for registration we, we do support them, in the, in, but we don't, in a sense, uh, we work with them and we, uh, as best we can, but they have their separate program. And uh, so uh, they've integrated uh, these wounded warriors into the contingent that comes down to right, wards, both, both from Stuttgart, but also from the United States. Right. And uh, the Knights of Columbus pays their way. The Knights of Columbus has a, has a program completely that, that helps subsidize those that need help, and, and they will pay the cost also. 
So anyone who uh, a wounded warrior and you don't have to be wounded. I mean, and you can join the um, warriors to lords uh, yeah. uh, without being wounded. You can be. Right. Uh, you can. You can be. Uh, they. Uh, they have a program that takes uh, active duty and retired people in their program, and. Uh, I don't have all of the specifics, so if somebody were interested in this program, they should contact the Knights of Columbus, and, and they, they have a website. They can go to the website warriorstolords.com. Yes. Yes. Right, and there, therefore, there's there's all the information is there, including a registration, include, including a registration form on this program. And so they can submit an application there, and then the Knights will review and uh, and get back. And that, that's right. That's correct. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about your um, induction into the Equestrian Order of the Holy Sepulchre of Jerusalem. This is an organization within the Catholic Church that goes back to the Crusades. Yes. <laughs> and uh, so you, uh, uh, Ed, are now a knight, and Dolly, you're a, a, a dom. And so do, how, how do you feel about this? Do you feel like Crusaders? Not crusaders in the in the sense of the Middle Ages, but uh, it was a really uh, I, we were very honored that we uh, were so, well. First of all, I have to say is I was approached approached with this about two years ago, and I had to make an application, and they had to be you know I had to uh, I guess you'd say a background check on you. They made certain, and I heard nothing for several months, and then I thought okay. Because I was told not everybody. First, you have to, you cannot join the the, uh, the the Knights of the Holy Sepulchre. You have to be nominated. It's and the arch uh, it goes through the process, and the art your Archbishop of your diocese has to um, nominate. Oh, not nominate has to uh, approve it, and then it goes through the Vatican for for a final approval. And the Grand Master, it's interesting at this point, the Grand Master for the Knights of the Holy Sepulchre is Cardinal O'Brien. Who used to be the Archbishop of the Military Services right. before Archbishop Brolio. Right, correct. <laughs> interesting. Uh, today, the uh, Knights are, uh, are mainly a charitable organization working through the uh, Near East Welfare Association to support clinics, schools, orphanages and other facilities to serve the needy in the Holy Land. Do you expect that you'll be headed to the Holy Land at some point? I think so, yes. And uh, so it, you, you look back on, on all the, the wonderful work you've done. You've been involved in, in the Catholic community, not just organize, organizing trips for the pilgrimage, but uh, you are a coordinator in your Catholic community. And and um, well, what else do you do? I mean, lay people like yourselves are becoming increasingly important with the uh, shortage of uh, priests we have on active duty. What 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 is your uh, what is your routine like when you're volunteering and, and uh, serving as leaders in your Catholic community? We basically uh, support the Catholic chaplain of what he needs. You know, what 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 does he want to do? He maybe he wants to do a, and we have done this. He wants to do a one day pilgrimage, to a religious site, or some place that's not too far away where you leave. You go in the morning, like six o'clock in the morning, and come back, let's say late at night, and there's no overnight involved. Then there then uh, there's other pilgrimages that do require overnight accommodations, 
and we 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 help when when necessary we help we help them uh, give them some pointers if they or actually sometimes we actually do do the paperwork and coordinating it there's a lot that goes on to to putting a, 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 a pilgrimage together a lot behind the scenes that one never sees uh, the annual picnic yeah then we have our annual uh, picnic once a year that we do and uh, I've I've coordinated that several times, not every time, but several times, and uh, I try to get other people, you know, let somebody else run it. Not I don't want to be the only one that does it. There's awful lot of work, I'm sure. Uh, there is a lot of moving parts and something like that for the whole parish. Yes, for and the I, whole I, community. I should mention that your investiture took place here in uh, Washington D.C. on October 26, 2019, at the uh, Crypt of the uh, Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception. Uh, was it um, Cardinal O'Brien who invested you? No, it was the Archbishop of Washington, Baltimore. Archbishop Laurie. Archbishop Laurie, yes, he was the one. But there was a Cardinal from Rome that was there, the Lieutenant General from the Order, he, he was there, and there were several uh, bishops and arch, archbishops and several bishops, and I, and for for us, Dolly and I, Bishop Spencer was present. <laughs> Ed and Dolly Wilson, thank you so much for talking to me today about all the wonderful work you're doing with the Catholic Church in uh, Germany, and congratulations again on your investiture into the Equestrian Order of the Holy Sepulchre of Jerusalem. Thank you. Thank you also.